Hey, welcome to the seventh edition of Clarity Chat podcast. I have with me Arun Gupta, former group CIO of Sipla and Shopper Stop, plus some more. He met his own aspiration of becoming independent at 50 and is now an independent advisor. In today's session, he will share his views and learnings on what's different and what's still the same in the CIO roles. We will discuss how to create a business-centric IT culture. He will also share his radical views on IT from, he will also share his radical views on ROI from technologies. As a roaming IT engineer, he always eyed the IT head role. He believed in quit at your best and discusses how this belief led him to become a vice president at the age of 32. Welcome Arun to Clarity Chat. Did you know that 83% of technology implementations fail to achieve expected business outcomes? Well, managing technology is incredibly complex. IT covers all processes and everything IT does impacts people in some way. The function is only three decades old, but changing at the fastest pace. Technology industry is highly profitable with intense marketing. Tech companies have the vast majority of the tech talent, not you. Clarity Chat Purpose is rooted in helping you solve IT challenges for business success, to help you decode the complexity, to help you leverage partners effectively, to help you partner with business more effectively, to help you manage change better, to help you attract talent. You get this clarity via experiences of CIOs and business leaders shared informally and candidly over a cup of tea. Welcome to the Clarity Chat Podcast. Arun, welcome to this uh, experience sharing, recording the art of finding success with technologies. Uh, you rose right from the bottom, uh, no engineering, no MBA, by servicing IT hardware roaming around Mumbai. Please share your uh, life stories with us, calling out some key inflection points, you know, which reveal to you the principles of success with technology as well as with life. Sure. Thank you, Jagdish. And uh, welcome to everyone who's uh, listening in. My journey with IT started probably somewhere in the background when I was in my college. And I used to love tinkering around with electronics to the extent that I represented my college in the Mumbai University Electronics Fair. We won a prize there. That got me interested a little more into what could I do with electronics. And one of my college mates, a good friend, still a good friend, he told me, Arun, you need to get into IT. And I said, what the hell is IT? Because in 1981, 82, IT was really unheard of. And uh, he said, computers, technology, get into that. Because you will do well in that for a simple reason. You logically think through everything before you do it. And I said, thank you very much. For a 19-year-old, that sounds very good. And I said... I don't even know whether after I do my graduation in physics, if anyone would be interested in hiring me in the computer industry. But as Providence would have it, uh, I parted in my graduation and from college in Mumbai, Mumbai University. And then I had to work because of family pressures. Applied for jobs all over the place. Apply, apply, no reply. And uh, that is when uh, NIIT, an early institute in those days, kind of uh, ran an ad for a hardware course. And that is the first and the only hardware course NIIT ever did. Either 
it was a very good experience or a very bad i don't know which one but uh, they never repeated that course uh, the course was sponsored by two companies nelco and hcl and if we did well in the course which was expected to be 80% plus we would get placed in any of those companies so the company had a choice we did not have a choice so i got in uh, through that curriculum and i said okay i don't want to do a msc but uh, i have to work nobody is giving me an opportunity let me try this i tried i got in i did well reasonably well to the extent that uh, i had a choice both hcl and nelco gave me an offer and uh, i chose nelco only reason because it was in mumbai whereas hcl wanted me to be in delhi and uh, mumbai being the hometown i said i will take that and that's how i got into computers what did i get into i got into hardware support hardware support in the 80s used to be all about taking a big toolkit and my toolkit used to be slightly over 10 kilos i actually weighed it because it felt heavy and i had to travel in uh, local trains and buses because as a trainee engineer i was not eligible for a cab fare so average six customer calls a day all of them sitting in air conditioned environments and i'm getting uh, subjected to all the weather conditions outside rain sunshine everything i felt kind of envious of those people sitting inside and i said i want to be there and guess what in most cases when we used to go on calls there would be a software guy who would accompany me there's a bright young lady who was also a fresher uh, we kind of paired up and she used to come with me most of the time wonderfully carrying a nice book and she would once sit in the adp manager's cabin and talk to him while i was out there repairing computers and uh, over a period of time i kind of said either i want to be in that cabin or i want to be in your place i don't want to be carrying around this too so my company's average number of calls was 6 i used to do 7 not more not much less and uh, started spending 10 minutes after the call got over with the customers the edp managers in those days to understand when the computer went down what happened to the company what was the impact if any and uh, how do i get to where they are and everyone told me arun you need to know software hardware mein kuch nahi hota i said okay i would learn hardware i would learn software So I asked this uh, young girl next to me and said, "How do you get into software?" She said, "I'm an engineer." And I said, "I'm not an engineer, so I'm not sure if anyone will hire me as a software guy." What's our next best alternative? Do a post graduation. Where do I do post graduation? Somebody said NCST, and that's the time one of my cousin brothers moved into Mumbai, and uh, he also joined a software company. And said, "I'm going to do NCST. Are you also going to do?" And I said, "Why not? How do you get there?" He said, "Entrance exam." Problem is, I used to work from nine to nine every day. He used to work from nine to six and come home and study. And I would get home, have dinner, and sleep. At the end of six months, when the entrance exam got done, I got through. He did not. And that was interesting because everyone expected him to get through, not me. I finished my curriculum parallelly. I switched jobs because I realized in my current company growth would not happen. So as I switched roles into a new organization, they acknowledged my curriculum and the learning that I have had, and they said, "Would you like to do a hybrid role, hardware and software?" And I said, "Why not? I can leverage my newfound knowledge." And uh, in the six years that I spent in that company, I had four growth opportunities from an engineer all the way to being a territory manager uh, with a team of 20 reporting into me i at the bright young age of 26 went to campus interviews hiring engineers even though i was not a engineer that was an interesting place to be but uh, by the time i got to a place where i hit the ceiling in mumbai because the company was headquartered in hyderabad and i did not want to move to hyderabad what was the next option the next option was switch uh, but my switch i wanted to do more to being a user so one of the interesting things i used to do in my company i used to manage one of our largest customers the Largest customer was Volta, and the chairman of Volta, an old grand old man called A. H. Tobacowada. Uh, he used to be the chairman, CEO, MD, whatever. He happened to 
get himself a Mac and original IBM PC and nobody in the company knew, knew what to do with it. He, so my company nominated me and said, Arun, why don't you go and figure it out? Because I was known to be experimental. I was willing to try anything. So he took a liking to me. He took me under his wings. He helped me understand a bit of management. What is people management about? He invited me into some of his senior management meetings. And uh, in one of those board meetings where he called me and said, Arun, come and sit in, sit in the background, listen to what happened. I had no clue as a 28-year-old, what am I going to do sitting in a board meeting? But I sat there and I listened and it sounded amazing. All these wonderful wise men with uh, gray hairs and beard talking about strategy and all of that. And I had no clue what they were trying to do. But at the end of it, I said, that is where I would like to be someday. And I had no idea how I'll get there. Fast forward, uh, when I was leaving that organization, my chairman, Mr. Tobacco, called me and said, Rabbish Arun, you're not leaving us. You join Voltas if you don't want to work for the existing year. I said, great. He offered me an EDP manager's post. We did a medical checkup and the medical checkup said, I have a high blood pressure. And he told the doctor, you don't know shit because Arun is the coolest person. I said, thank you, sir. But uh, I quit still because of the simple reason I had made a commitment to the organization that I'm going to join. And that organization was Great East Asia, where I joined in 91. Courtesy of uh, a wonderful friend who hired me. He used to be the ADP manager. And that wonderful friend was Satish Pensey, who's also retired now from what I know. Satish, as the ADP manager, hired me for a simple purpose. Get technology to them. Because the business was not really using technology. There's an ADP department but uh, nothing else in the rest of the organization. And I was given the task of uh, getting three parts of the organization to use it. My official title was system administrator, but the role was largely not just managing the Unix system that was existing, but going beyond that, helping develop systems. He engaged an organization to do the development work. I was the business analyst. I had no clue what a business analyst did, but my simple philosophy was whatever you do, it needs to help the business. And that is where I came in touch with my second uh, influencer in my life. The person who used to be the executive assistant to the chairman. He was a wonderful guy from IIM Ahmedabad, which was somewhere up there for me because I had heard of Ahmedabad. I am very difficult to get through. Everyone used to tell me I had no aspirations to go there. But when somebody comes from there, I said, wow, I should look up. And he taught me a lot of things especially around how to connect with business and how to use technology in a way that finally business should say, wow, this was worth. And uh, that is where he helped me in the initial stages. And then I was on my own because by 93, in two years time, Satish Pense quit. And uh, while I was not the senior most person in the organization, I was the most vocal and the most visible IT person. So they said, Arun, help us fix the financial accounting and we'll make you the IT. What is wrong with the financial accounting? Actually, nothing. It was a custom-developed COBOL-based system like everyone had in the early 90s. And Arthur Anderson in those days came as a consultant and said, you should do SAP or Oracle Financials. I never heard of SAP, but I had heard of Oracle. By virtue of that, uh, we chose Oracle Financials. And my manager said, we are going to make an investment of one and a half crores. And this is 93, one and a half crores was a lot of money. Though half of it went to Arthur Anderson, but still, it was a lot of money. And uh, the project started in June 1993 with the aspirational goal I of 1st April 94. And my boss said, Arun, what if this fails? I'm doing it only because you are saying that you're going to make this happen. So I told him, sir, if you want, I'll give you a resignation letter. You can put the date whenever you want and I will leave. And he's saying, no way. If you're going to blow one and a half crores of the company, I won't let you go so easily. You have to earn back one and a half crores before you. But guess what? Uh, 
all things went well first april we went live in one year time we met the milestone that we wanted to meet which was basically closing in 30 days versus closing in 180 days we achieved that in the second year and uh, i had reached a scenario where whatever has had happened so it's a very powerful place to be if you can imagine i'm the it guru in the company i have done everything automated telex to computer on the ship to building the real estate business with technology what anything that great eastern did i was involved with the technology part of it it kind of started getting into my head that i am invincible i know everything until one fine day i met another friend of mine and he said arun this is the time to quit and i'm saying why should i quit he says if you quit at a high people will remember you rather than you quitting when people are wondering why are you still there and uh, as things had it god was kind i got an opportunity and i switched at a ripe age of what 32 i became vice president and everyone said wow Arun, vice president, amazing. Only after I joined, I realized in that company, everyone was a vice president. Financial industry is known to give you wonderful titles. Even at me out of college, joins as an assistant vice president. <laughs> so that was a big dampener, but still, I was vice president at least to most of my friends who were not from the financial industry. VP IT is VP IT, whereas everyone else was IT manager or senior IT manager or GM at best. There were hardly any VPs in those times, at least in the IT world. In the user community, there weren't too many. I'll pause. I keep on talking. Jagdish over to you. No, no, this was. I, I was listening with rapt attention, and you know, the one thing that I kind of captured from here is, you know, I think you have done it multiple times. That's where I would like to be someday. So initially, when you were the hardware engineer, you wanted to be an EDP manager, and you achieved it. And then, you know. and then when you were sitting in the board meeting as a as a hardware engineer observing you know you again had this thought that i would like to be there someday and you didn't know how but then you landed up there and i would say that you know my take away from and this is something i believe in that you know we have to put our eyes on something and uh, you know just believe that yes i can get there even if i don't know how then i mean it's like the you know the universe conspires to get you there And of course what uh, ronda brand calls the secret absolutely absolutely the secret so i can see uh, you know what got you from a hardware engineer to a to a cio and the other thing i picked up is like you know quit at your best and i think you you eventually did it even uh, even multiple even times. Could, yeah, multiple times especially when you came out of the cio role so uh, arun uh, let's move on uh, i remember our discussion on technology roi when i was showing you the 17% mm-hmm. and you see uh, like you know revolt and you say i don't believe in this so you you have some strong views about technology roi so tell us uh, some stories around you know how you look at technology roi and how you have you know influenced the management and leadership to look beyond roi and still invest in technology and and how did sure. you do it let's go back to the genesis of where roi started roi was uh, largely a measure for large investments primarily in the manufacturing industry where either you're building a manufacturing facility an assembly line a warehouse whatever you are building or you create a branch office and say okay how quickly i can recover the money i put into that infrastructure IT also started off as infrastructure for a large number of organizations initial focus being financial accounting and then getting into various other parts of the business in the early 80s when and 70s and 80s when people were doing computers when they were doing IT, uh, it was all about doing something faster something which is repetitive can it be done by a computer because it will happen much faster the example that i took earlier financial accounting which we did in great eastern shipping uh, how do i improve my closing from 6 months to 
six weeks. Today, everyone does it in three to four weeks. But in the 80s, that was a big challenge for most. So their potential and ROI made sense. But as you went forward and you started looking at technology getting into the business, it was not always about solving a problem. Where to say, if you were to get into activity-based costing, which most chartered accountants and cost accountants would love to do, and say, okay, this is how you would measure the cost of a process or a cost of doing something. And now I need to improve upon it. But that is automation of the legacy. What about future looking up? If I'm going to create a new way of doing business, or if I'm going to create a new way of engaging with customers, how am I going to measure ROI? Because there will be a conflict. The marketing and the sales team will say, I did a better job because of which sales went. Whereas who enabled them? IT enabled to do it. If the cost of delivering a service has gone down, which means my profitability goes up, who's going to take credit? The CFO and say, because of the measures I took, profitability went. Where does IT stand in the entire equation with respect to return on investment? So way back in uh, 99, when uh, I was being asked to do an ROI on something, I will not say what, because it's a very, very controversial subject even after 20 years. My chairman sitting on the same table along with my CEO says, Arun, what do you think will be the return on this investment? And I'm saying there's no return on this investment. And everyone, 20 people on the table started looking at me, wondering what happened to this guy. Why is he talking about no return? This has to be done. It's important for the business. And I said, sir, this is a leap of faith for you. I know it will deliver to the business. I'm sure my friend sitting here, Radhika will say, I achieved the business turnaround. Sanjay here will say that because of me, the profitability has gone up. If you want to spend this 50 lakh rupees, which is required right now, all of these guys will succeed and I will also succeed along with both. But please also think what will happen if you do not do this. So today, a lot of organizations take no decision as the decision. And I confronted the entire room there to say, what's the cost of no decision? Is the 50 lakh rupees worth spending? Or do you believe by spending, you will probably have a struggle with respect to profitability, top line, bottom line, whatever measure you want to take up. In the end, my chairman said, okay, I hear you. You're being a smart addict by not giving me an answer. But uh, okay, I will give you this money as an approval, but this is what will have to change. And I'm saying, yes, this will change if everyone else around this table is agreeable. I cannot drive. I can enable. And suddenly in that moment, I had my learning to say, if I take the business along with me, I can get whatever I want as an approval. And guess what? From 99 till 2014, I never had any proposal getting rejected. Irrespective of value, irrespective of the kind of initiative I was taking because the learning for me was I need to have an ally inside the organization, ideally the person from the business who is going to be impacted <clears throat> and uh, that worked for me almost every time. So okay. coming back to your original question, ROI, I don't think ROI is relevant today. I think what people should be talking about is cost of doing business, cost of opportunity and cost of efficiency. Let me give you another example in another company. The HR head had tried multiple times getting approval for PeopleSoft HR. PeopleSoft was popular for a very, very long time. The cost of PeopleSoft was almost a crore. And a crore rupees is a crore rupees, whether it was 2005, 2010, 2020, a crore is a lot of it. So every time she would go to the boss, the boss would say, sorry, I'm not spending that. I joined as a new IT head there, a CIO, and uh, she comes running to me after a couple of weeks and says, Arun, this is a project I've been trying to get it approved for the last eight months. So I looked at the papers and I said, you're doing it wrong. You'll never get approved. Even if I go to you, I'll not get approved. So let's change that. What did we do? So PeopleSoft uh, in those days had two options, CapEx and OpEx. CapEx was obviously expensive. OpEx was 
also expensive, but it could be justified in a very different. What was the different way that I used? What's the cost of chai per employee per month? And the answer is 300 rupees, average cost. Assuming you take only two cups in a day, five rupees per cup. I'm saying if an employee drinks three cups of tea in a day, he's costing you 450 rupees. Would you not be willing to spend another two cups of chai for him to be able to get a better HR system? Because the cost of the HR system was 361 rupees per user per and it got signed up immediately. So like I said, you have to sometimes look at different metrics, different ways of looking at presenting a project. If you have, if you have a business guy sitting next to you, willing to work with you, it always works. No, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you know, this reminds me of one of my own stories. I was having a, you know, book with my uh, boss. And he was the CFO and he just raised a, you know, big round, uh, financing round. And he was really proud about, you know, he was really proud about the kind of rate at which he had got the whole uh, funding from the investment bank. And <laughs> right in front of him, I did, uh, I did a quick math and I said, listen, sir, forget the percentage. This is how much you paid in absolute uh, rupees crore term. And that's two times my IT budget. And, you know, you keep always pushing me for the IT budget. Can you, can you rather not push the investment banker than me? <laughs> and I think, and I think the point got across, and uh, my my pressures came down. So uh, no, I don't. Uh, incident I should tell you where I was haggling over the budget uh, with somebody in the real estate business. And my IT budget was coming to about seven crores. And he kept on saying, no, bring it down to five, bring it down to five, bring it down. Went to him with the spreadsheet and I said, sir, delete whichever column you don't want. He says, no, all this has to be done. I said, then that's the cost. And he kept on looking at me and I kept on looking at him. After the staring match got over, he laughed and said, it's okay, your budget is approved. Because I spent more than that in the parking lot of my shopping mall. (laughs) Yeah, and... Yeah, no, no, this is absolutely, you know, like as IT guys, you know, we kind of, the moment you start looking outside in terms of what are the other business costs, you know, I was in automotive and, you know, when I looked at the warranty cost was like maybe 10 times my uh, IT budget. You look at the, you know, the the marketing schemes cost, you look at any element of cost, it's actually bigger than IT. And then I think that's one agenda that really works if you start like, you know, saying that, okay, you know what, let us work together and, and shave this cost from here. And you know, like get some share in the IT. Absolutely, that, that that's something that worked for me. And uh, there was one story that you had once told me about you know investing in hardware to improve the CSI. That was an awesome one. Do you remember that? Hardware for investing in infrastructure from fifty lakhs, and you know, just for <clears throat> just for the store experience. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So again, I have, I'm an old man, so I have lots of stories. A lot of times when you look at infrastructure spends, they are the most difficult ones for IT guys to justify. So this specific case that I was talking to you about was for customer service. We had 200 agents who used to take care of customer calls, service calls as well as sales calls. And uh, the IT infrastructure had become a little old. It was beginning to creak with respect to response times. Customer wait times were going up. Abandoned call ratios were going up. Customer service head was very unhappy. We were beginning to lose business from some of our big customers. And uh, so customer service head comes to me and says, Arun, please help us because I know you need to upgrade something somewhere or fix the application because it's not working out any. My average talk times, which used to be 60 and 70 seconds, have now gone to three minutes because I'm waiting for the screen to re- refresh it. 
So I sent one of my guys inside who came back and said, sir, following hardware needs to be upgraded. Just two servers, totaling about 50 lakhs. In that company, I was incidentally called as the 43 lakh man because most of my CapEx proposals used to be 43. I don't know how, but it used to happen. And I took went to the boss and said, sir, we need to spend this 50 lakhs. He says, why? Customer service. Called the customer service head. Customer service head comes and says, this is the current problem. And I invited the... CEO to the floor and said, sir, please come and see what is happening. How frustrated these wonderful ladies are who are trying to help us sustain our business. He came there, spent 15 minutes and got the hang of it. We went back. At the end of it, he gave me an approval, but he said, tell me what will be my response time after. I had to sign off on an under five second response time. I was confident I'll achieve three seconds. But I signed on five seconds because that's what he asked. And I delivered three seconds and he was pretty happy. No, no, that, that's really awesome. Yeah, And you know, like you can't really measure the ROI on that because... There's no uh, ROI on this, right? Uh, but yeah, again, yeah. interestingly with that person who's still a good friend of mine, who was my boss at that time, we never discussed ROI. We would always discuss impact business. Yeah, and absolutely. He was one of my good mentors who again taught me a lot of things, especially with respect to how do you project to the larger organization. So before that, I did not have too much exposure into global meetings. Uh, especially global business meetings. After that, for the next one year that I worked in the company, I was part of almost every regional business meeting because he felt I could add value. So slowly and progressively, most of my bosses thought I had something in me and they kind of kept on giving me those opportunities. It was also the time of, if you remember, dot com and 99-2000. Again, my big mouth, I would talk a lot. They made me the head of the e-commerce business. An e-commerce business for a logistics company is all about delivery. I started managing a PNL for the first time in my life uh, where I was responsible for all the shipments that were received for the e-commerce and I had to ensure they don't lose money because in those days people were talking about eyeballs. They were nobody was talking about money and I said okay I will make sure we don't lose money but don't expect me to make money on such a small overhead cost will kill it and which was good so a year and a half that I ran the business until the dot-com bust happened we were at crash making we never lost money we never gained but we built up a business of almost 35 lakhs that was pretty reasonable almost like one service center of the doing business Oh, that, that, that's great. And you know, I, I really love uh, the couple of insights I got from it. So one is that, you know, the courage, you know, the courage to say there is no ROI. I don't know how many of us can gather that, right? And then, and then, you know, again, in front of all the business leaders saying that, you know, I will enable it, but everybody else needs to sign up. So I think those are things, you know, we kind of tell us that, you know, you got to step in, you know, level with the business and the only thing that can help you do it is your you know intimacy with the business your confidence of how you can impact the business and that brings me to my next question is about the good old question in it about the business it connect okay so you know you are you personally are very intimate with business and uh, you know which i think is very very clear as in the in the chat so far so i want to now you know pick your brains on a few things that you do to build that kind of business intimacy see as a culture within the IT team and what kind of processes or rituals that you create uh, to get your get the entire team to be uh, business centric because only you doing it will not help right hey I am your podcast host Jagdish Belwal I had a rich career as CIO at Tata Motors and GE now as an advisor I help organizations transform with technology Technology is necessary for digital transformation, but not sufficient. So I help organizations with the rest of it, leadership, strategy, culture, change management, etc. 
You can connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. For now, keep listening and don't forget to subscribe the podcast and do connect with me on LinkedIn. Absolutely. See, every organization has a culture. Where does the culture start from? Always from the top. Yes. The management team behaves the way the owner, promoter, or the CEO does. The department head's behaviors influence the team below. So if the department head is approachable, most of the team members would be up. If the department head is kadus, everyone is kadus. They behave, believe that that's the way they should be because they want to be where I am. Yeah. So that's one point. Second, every CIO or every IT leader, for that matter, every leader, irrespective of which function you belong act like one don't be a pretender where you are you got there rightfully wrongfully by choice or by somebody getting kicking you up there by default but you worked hard to get to where you are don't be insecure in that position because you are a professional you did something good that's why you are where that's the first second let's go back and introspect on why does it exist it does not exist only for it say it exists because within an organization we are using technology to help the business do something differently or better or faster or or create a competitive advantage, a differentiation, be first in the industry, be probably different in the industry. All of those things, technology is enabling. And it's you and your team who's doing that. But your effectiveness will be dependent only on how well you have connected back with the business and how well have you communicated. So again, very early in my career, courtesy of some of my peers and some of my bosses, I learned that I need to create a connect at a personal level. And early days of being in Great Eastern Shipping, I was the youngest amongst the team members in the organization which defined the so-called leadership team or the department heads. Most people used to think of me as that nerdy kid who knows computers more than anyone else so he will do some magic and something will happen. And guess what? Uh, with whatever amount of technology I knew, I could do small, small things which help the business in a very big way. And uh, by virtue of that, I was the so-called IT wizard in that company. And uh, they used to call me for regular meetings. Chal chai pite hai, chal bar chalte hai. Let's go out for dinner. Let's go out for lunch. Saturdays used to be half days. We used to sit together, probably go to a restaurant, have a beer together, those kind of things. And uh, I realized that networking that I was doing with them not transactional actually helped me build a relationship and uh, the relationship that I built in the early 90s with my business users are still alive even though I left that organization in 96 26 years later we are still in touch because they became friendship they were no longer business relationships so progressively through the organizations I continued that to say I need to go and talk to every CXO not just when I have a problem or not just when they have a problem but just build a relationship talk to them about business understand what they do how they do what are their challenges and then also go down to the grassroots level and understand how technology is impacting them at all probably some of them don't use technology can I use it and that is how I created new innovative solutions with my team and my team was not just internal but even my vendors every person in my team I used to say, I know you support this organization very well, this department, well, this application, you are the expert, but then don't limit yourself to what you do. Go and understand what's the impact you are creating. And maybe you will find out are two more things that you can do differently, you can do better, you can just create an additional development, which is suddenly be a game changer for them. And fortunately, I always had good team members who listened to me. They did. And they also grew. 25 years later, there are at least 20 of them who are CIOs on their own. So what I learned, I disseminated some of them followed, some of them did not. And that's okay. Everyone doesn't have to succeed. Everyone doesn't have to reach the top. Like uh, I had this wonderful quote from Edward Deming, survival is not mandatory. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm saying 
success is not mandatory. It's a choice that you make. So what are the key things that I did? One, ensured all my team members always go out and talk to the business. In some cases, I embedded the team members inside the business departments. They were not in the IT department. Second thing I started doing is, in many organizations, I used to send a fortnightly newsletter. The newsletter was a culmination of IT stories and IT business stories from all over the world. So when Apple, for example, launched the iPod, it was part of my story going out to the organization. There's a new device in the market. I would educate them to whatever extent possible with uh, articles that I would pick up from all over the place. I've been a McKinsey subscriber since 1995. And uh, my boss who gifted me that subscription used to say, Arun, no other CX has ever come and asked me for a McKinsey. You're the only person. And I said, thank you, sir. In those days, it used to be a nice big McKinsey quarterly book. So every time he would read the book, he would pass it on to me. And I had a collection of them after some time. And a lot of times I would go to the website, try to find, download it, and then send it out to everyone as saying, good reading, please read highlight portions to them and say this is worth something. Even today as a consultant, I still do that. In companies where I consult, I download stuff from all over the place and I send it. Third thing that I did as a part of the entire exercise, have town hall meetings. IT town hall meetings where anyone can ask any question to me as the senior most person in the organization for IT and I will give you an answer. It could be related to what we do. It could be unrelated to what. Somebody had asked me a question a long time back and I'm talking about 2007. Arun, what is our cloud strategy? 2007 was the time cloud was just about beginning to make a scene and uh, I said our cloud strategy is that we will get there depending on which parts of the business can be better enabled using them. So that was an answer but no answer. But the person felt very happy about it. I think I, think I can relate to it Arun. So, you know, when I took over there was one plant of ours in North India where you know nobody had no CIO had really visited in the last I don't know how many years since the plant was formed and I did a similar sort of town hall you know we called them super users yeah and I was like you know if it was not a company scenario I would have been mopped Okay. <laughs> there was so much of aggression and there was so much of, Absolutely. you know, this thing. And, you know, we just held our cool. We said, listen, you know, emotions, let's, let's park the emotions. Let's prioritize. We don't have sufficient capacity. But then, you know, doing this on a quarterly basis over next, maybe, you know, five to six quarters, we became the best friends just by talking quarter and quarter and quarter and meeting people in, in these town halls. So that's an, that's an awesome learning. So, um, uh, Arun, just to be uh, conscious of time and, you know, also some questions have started uh, pouring in. Uh, I, I kind of question that I would like to answer. This is from Nitin Harne. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I was about to get there. Yeah. Perfect. Please. So, why is IT held accountable to be in good rapport with business? Who needs that relationship? Do you need it or do the business need it? That's the starting point. If you don't have that relationship, guess what will you be? You will be a service provider. You will get called when the projector doesn't work in the boardroom during board meetings. You will largely be the chief technology fixer rather than a business part. But that's, I'll give you a very different answer now. IT leaders, at least 70 to 80% of them are introverts and reluctant communicators. If you look at the rest of the organization, people network with each other at all levels at very, very different opportunities. Take a simple example. When you go for lunch, where do you go and sit with your team or do you sit with the CXOs or do you randomly sit anywhere and are willing to have a conversation with whoever is sitting on the table with you? And if you did that, you will obviously build a better relationship if you did that a couple of times because people will see you as approaching. You're a CXO. CXOs are normally held at a certain position within the organization. And uh, 
if you are approachable if you are down to earth people will talk to you at all levels and people will tell you about what you can do better for their own organizations and i have done that very well even as a consultant where one of the companies i was consulting with expected me to do the consulting work out of the head office working in the head office talking to the cxos and i said no but i want to go to the field i want to meet your customers i want to meet your retailers i want to meet uh, i want to see your manufacturing facility i want to talk to the worker who does the goods receive and they said why and i said that's the only way i'll find out how well it is getting used for me to give you a recommendation i cannot give it to you just by talking to these people here and guess what a lot of consultants call it design thinking <laughs> so coming back to the question nitin i guess the do haath se taali bajti hai na finally and if somebody has to take that initial step if you take it nothing wrong with it and i'm sure most of the time people will receive i'll give you one simple example a company i joined on day one my induction program i meet one of the ceos of the business and what is the first statement he tells me 10 o'clock in the morning first day one i walk into the ceo's cabin he looks at me and said come around sit down let me tell you i hate it i look at him and i'm saying thank you andrew that's a good starting point let's work from here and one year later the same person was with me in a global forum presenting how it has helped his business it took me that much time to turn him around in a way that he became a proponent of it not just in india but even globally so i could have probably said okay yeah i'll go and fix it and this and that and gone and fired my team which would have been a very standard response but then i realized i have to build that one on one with him as the ceo and me as the cio if i don't even if the rest of the organization uses technology he will still say it sucks Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I think you know the the follow up question that he asked: the other department should not be given a feeling of king. I think, uh, I think, I think what I hear from Arun uh, two things, and you know this is my own insight as well. So one is that you know who needs to know more about whom the person who needs to know more about the other guys you know they are the ones who need to reach out and most of the time that as IT guys we need to know far far more about business than the other way round and the second thing is that where does the impact get created you know the KPIs or that will move are all inside the business and if your work is going to be impacting that and you better know uh, what that impact is and you know how that impact is created so there's another question from. from uh, arun ayer arun about of the newsletters you sent to the team in educating i think the question is like how do you look at how they impacted and you know and and what kind of feedback mechanism you had so we used to have a quiz in every newsletter and uh, i know everyone would read it because uh, i would get comments in the lunch room i would get comments casually when people are walking by arun great newsletter so i used to write the foreword and then i had team members who would contribute the rest of it. and the foreword was always about future thinking about what's happening what's going to happen something good that we did or some award that we won as a it organization that's what we used to talk about and then we would have a quiz or a crossword and things like that and there was a lady in the team who used to do that very well she was a wonderful quiz master so she had a huge repertoire of questions including questions on technology so we would typically have five questions and uh, we would randomly select one winner from that and i used to sponsor that prize it used to come out of my it budget that was one way that i did it in another organization uh, we used to ask for feedback and ideas so we pose a business problem back to the business and say tell me what do you think could be a solution to this or how could we improve your process and again the responses so used to come directly to me and uh, again the number of responses used to tell me how many people are actually reading it and are thinking about solving the problem along with it oh that's great that's great then there is another another question from uh, amrinder which is uh, what's the future of enterprise it how will the dynamics change between technology buyers and it 
future of enterprise IT, I think it's very, very bright. There has been an existential question which is being asked since 2005. IT doesn't matter if you remember by Nicholas Carr. That happened in 2003, I think. And since then, after every five, three to five years, people have uh, raised the question, is IT relevant? Is the CIO role relevant? Why not have a chief cloud officer, chief digital officer, current flavor? I don't know what the next one would be. Uh, we will need enterprise IT whether we like it or not because that is a system of records. And a solution like a Facebook, Google, whatever you may look at, all the new age big tech companies, they do not have solutions for enterprise. They have solutions for consumers. Even AWS is an infrastructure play. It is not an application. Google has made an attempt with the office suite, but then again, it's a very, very small part of the organization, office product. So enterprise IT will be there. CIOs will be there. In fact, recently I was uh, reading back on my blog once upon a time. In 2015, I had made a prediction. What will be the role of the CIO in 2020? And when I read it and I realized I was kind of 90% there. And I'm now tempted to think that I'll post my next blog next week. What will be the role in 2025? And I'll take references from both of these and say, okay, what has happened? What has changed? What has not changed? So what will be the relationship between them? I guess for some parts of the technology, it's going to remain the way it is right now. But a lot and lot of that is moving to the cloud. A lot of that is moving to where you are as an employee and what you do as an employee, which is could be a mobile, a laptop or whatever the device might be. And uh, you will see a lot of democratization of technology decision making. I remember about 10, 11 years back with my wonderful friend Vijay Ramchandran, we had a big debate on who should be the owner of IT budget. And in those days, there was interesting report that had come out by some of the consulting companies to say that marketing should run the marketing part of the IT budget. And again, I had written a blog on that and I'm saying, how does it matter where the budget sits? You're the person who's spending it, no? So why are you worried? Do the bank owns it or you own it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Arun, uh, we are like just about at the end of the hour, so maybe we can stretch it for a few minutes. I had some questions, so you know, this is more like consider it as a rapid fire. Uh, so building teams, you know, you got into a leadership role pretty fast within 10 years. Just just share some tips about building a team and you know what, what you did for that, for building good teams. So my hiring philosophy changed over a period of time, tactically and sometimes strategically. Some wonderful guy said, hire people who are brighter than you. I don't know who said it because that quote has been attributed to too many people. But uh, I would probably say I hired skills that I knew were scalable. I had people for their attitude, not what they had as a skill. Do you have a learning ability? I know you will scale up. I know you will be able to do well within the organization. Even when you leave the organization, I know you will do well. So that was the first thing I did about hiring people. Second, I empowered. I let them make mistakes. There were lots of times I knew and I felt I can do it better faster than what my team member is doing. But then if I'm doing it, he's not Required, then why did he hire him? So let him do, let him struggle. And people would come back to me and say, I don't know, how do I solve this problem? I said, I can tell you how to solve it, but then you are not required. So go and find the solution. Give me options if you have options, but tell me how you're going to solve them. And that made people work a little differently from what they were used. There is other thing I did was with every person in my team, I used very different ways of managing them. And that was again courtesy of one of the training programs I had attended called Situational Leadership. Uh, situational Leadership is all about treating people for who they are not the role they are in an expert does not need guidance an expert needs to be told what needs to get done and they'll figure out a way to do it a trainee needs to be told how to do it and these are the two extremes and there are people in and you need to treat all of them different you need to have a chat with them you need to get inside their skin help them learn don't teach them help them learn like the fish and the fisherman story the same thing applies even in technology 
Okay, no, that's that that's great. I think these are absolutely awesome advice. So hire skillable skills, primarily hire for attitude, uh, empower, let them make mistake, and uh, and and personalize your leadership, uh, the team members' abilities and skills. I think I think that's that's really uh, great advice for anybody who's you know uh, building a team right now. Now my last question, uh, Arun, and we'll probably then take a couple of more questions out there. You know, you called it uh, a day at your prime, and you started being an advisor now compared to when you were an ad- a CIO versus now that you're an advisor uh, what has changed and what is what is the same and uh, my second question on that is you know what, what would be your advice to people who would want to use an advisor like you and me and and what's the most effective way to uh, leverage advice so let me answer the second part of the question easily. Hopefully the first part will get answered. Why do you need an advisor or a consultant? Because there are times in organizations, more often than not, you may be the best person in the organization who knows what is best for the organization because you are where you are. People don't necessarily always listen. People always want a second opinion. And guess what? Most of the other parts of the organization do that a lot. Whether it's a marketing team, sales team, finance team, they go and hire consultants to validate some of the things they want to do. Even CEO does that with the big four and the various other organizations to validate what they call business strategy or help them save costs. It's not that we can't save costs, but then you have consultants who kind of specialize in that. IT has been probably to a very lesser extent engaging with consultants because of two reasons as I see it. One, most cases IT guys know what they have or what they want, which is fair. A lot. The second part is a lot of them are insecure to the extent that if they get somebody from outside, they'll be perceived as people who don't enough. And unfortunately or fortunately, I don't think it matters so much because if the rest of the organization can go and get experts to validate what they want to do, why can't you? And I'm sure if you went to your organization, your boss, your CEO, as long as you don't report into the CFO, I guess in most cases you should be easily able to get the services of a consultant who can help you validate something, who can help communicate that more effective. When I started my consulting, I was called by one of the IT heads to come and talk to his boss because what his boss was asking for, he said, Arun, you are the only person who can tell it. And it started as a half an hour conversation it became a two-hour conversation and he ended up hiring me as a consultant and the CI was very happy because he was then able to scale up very very fast compared to what he was able to do without my intervention. I left after six months, enabled the CI and said, now you're on your own, now you understand how to go and connect with your CXOs, your managers, your promoters, continue the good work. I'm sure you'll succeed. And he did. So why do you need a consultant? You need a consultant is like a second opinion that a doctor that you want from a doctor because you are not sure about the first one. In the case of IT, the organization may not be sure about what the CIO is telling. Get a consultant to help you validate. And I've done that for at least seven, eight companies in the last 10 years. Uh, where my maximum engagement has never been more than nice because I yeah. go in there, I help IT build credibility, I help IT define better metric on how to communicate their success and then I step out and I'm available to you if you still need help. Guess what? In most cases, they you don't because now you have had the mirror held to you and even your boss has held the mirror held to him and both matter because the boss also needs to see what IT is all about. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think Please, you, you, I'll just give yeah. you one more example. In my early days as an IT manager, an IT head, I used to get this frustrating feeling sometimes. What if I just shut down the computer center? What will happen? Everyone will realize the value of IT. I did not do it, but then that was a very, very strong temptation most of the time until I figured out a way of making it happen. 
no but i th- i think i think you nailed it on its head that you know that everyone uh, around uses consultants uses third parties to validate their decision and to, you know bring a fresh pair of eyes to whatever you are doing and uh, i think i think it may be uh, the insecurity that you talked about uh, that are we good enough or is the, is the organization really uh, you know scrutinizing our actions we bring somebody from outside so maybe that is so i am done with my question let us take a couple of questions from the audience uh, arun karunesh says uh, jagdishan arun good to listen to both of you yes i was his customer in tata motors i remember he was in tata communication and we were neighbors and arun as a colleague at huge uh, dot telecom then i remember a karunesh yeah and our daughters are like karunesh and my daughter are about the same age yeah then uh, yeah i can't see the name but you know good learnings and insights and wonderful experience shiv subramaniam from chennai and yeah amrinder thanks you for a comprehensive answer yeah there is one question from jagdish about looking forward to tips for building network with multiple stakeholders i think i think arun did give enough tips to jagdish in terms of you know having meals with your uh, business colleagues you know going out uh, for like whatever works for you yeah yeah <laughs> whatever works for you absolutely absolutely yeah you go and have that conversation which is non transactional yeah i think i think i think that's the that's the keyword having non transactional conversations about everything in fact uh, you know knowing more about uh, what they are doing and and uh, what kind so you know typically i have used in my uh, prevailing conversations i use a concept called pains and plans you know what is it that you are aspiring for as a business leader and what are your pains and guess what you know most of the work that we do as it is around uh, these two right either we make people's plans work or we remove uh, their pains with technology yes thanks amrinder for sharing uh, with everyone arun writes blogs cio which is cio inverted dot blogs blogspot.com so everyone can go and subscribe to uh, arun's blog arun i hope you're still you've you've started writing them regularly all over again no i had stopped on my blog and then i started writing on linkedin but uh, now that uh, my journey that i had last week on my blog when i discovered some of these i think i'm going to restart again so cio inverted is actually oic or cio inverted that's what the blog is all about and the play on oic is that you say oh i see after you read it that's yes. oic cio inverted absolutely and uh, thank you so much arun for you know re uh, you know retaking your journey uh, i mean taking us through your journey and uh, you know for lots of insights and stories uh, you know in terms of how did you achieve what you achieved uh, a lot of times we hear what you have achieved but you know the how part of it goes missing and that's the entire uh, purpose of this chat uh, that you know we share with our audience as to how you get things done the way you know arun has done it right so uh, thanks everyone um, and thank you arun uh, so much Wow, what a spirited discussion with Arun. I loved it. I hope you too loved it. If yes, do subscribe to the Clarity Chat podcast. It's available on all major podcasting platforms. Well, next week we will have Mohammad Wasim, an IT veteran at Publicis Sapient. So watch out for our next Clarity Chat podcast with Mohammad Wasim. who moved from being the CIO at Publicis Sapient to taking up a global COE role for business growth. Mm-hmm.